Welcome to the Scrum Dynamics Podcast, Episode 7. Dermot and I deep dive into two Scrum events, the Sprint and the Daily Scrum. We get into a bit about the optimum sprint length for a Dynamics 365 project, but end up agreeing about Sprint Zero and the use of other special sprints. Then we wrap up with the Daily Scrum, including ideas for making the Daily Scrum work for you if you've got remote team members. In an upcoming episode, we'll be answering listeners' questions. We've had a few questions already posed via LinkedIn and Twitter. If you want to contact us, you'll find Dermot on linkedin.com slash in slash Dermot Ryan 2, D-E-R-M-O-T-R-Y-A-N number 2. And I'm linkedin.com slash in slash Neil Benson, N-E-I-L-B-E-N-S-O-N. Or on Twitter at customary. That's the word customer with a Y on the end. You can also reach us via the customary website, customary.com. You'll find blog articles on the podcast back catalogue there too. And the best way to have your question appear on the podcast is to click on the send voicemail button on the right hand side of every page on the site. Stay agile, let's go. D365UG is the world's most influential user group community of Microsoft Dynamics 365 and CRM users and partners. I've just come back from their European conference, Summit EMEA in Dublin, which was amazing. And this week is their focus deep dive training conference in Indianapolis. D365UG is a great way to learn about the platform with like-minded customers and partners, discover best practices, get your questions answered, find admin training, and meet other users who share your special interests. You can find out more at d365ug.com. Hey Dermot, this is Neil. How are you doing? Hey Neil, how are you? I'm great, thanks. Yeah, good. It's a nice chilly morning here in Brisbane. Uh, Winter's starting to settle in, but it's a beautiful sunny day. So I'm looking forward to today's session. What are we going to cover? Today we're going to look at the sprint itself. What is the sprint? And then we'll move on to one of the events in a sprint, which is the daily scrum. And we'll talk about that. Okay, great. Is the daily scrum the same thing as the stand-up? People quite often refer to the stand-up in a scrum project. In your mind, are they the same thing? Yes, to me, the words are interchangeable. Um, the scrum guide says daily scrum, but most teams I've worked at have called it the stand-up. Okay, good. That's that's what I've thought as well. So let's yeah. let's get going with the sprint. I think that's uh, you know a critical event in the scrum. It's the basis in which all other events happen. So I'd love to hear your description of a sprint and and find out your experience, particularly in dynamics projects. What kind of sprint length you've used? I'd love to dive into that in a bit more detail. Sure. Well, the sprint is essentially it's the heart of Scrum. It's a time boxed event uh, between one to four weeks in duration. During this four, let's say it's a four week sprint. During this time is when the whole team works to deliver a done increment of usable, potentially releasable product. It varies in length from one to four weeks. My preference is usually three weeks. Uh, there's different reasons why you dif- use a different length. The bigger the team and the more complexity you have around your user stories, it might be better to use a longer sprint length. If you have a smaller team and you can turn work around really quickly, then it might be better to use a shorter sprint length. But whichever length that you do choose, it's important that that's consistent. That if you settle on a two-week sprint, that for throughout the project, you use a two-week sprint going forward. If the sprint length is too long, then the definition is what is being built. It may change and the complexity may arise and then risk increases. So that's why we don't go more than four weeks. Likewise, if the sprint is too short, less than one week, then there isn't enough time to get any work done because we still have to do our ceremonies and do our meetings. One month max limits the risk of a project and greater than one week uh, ensures that we can actually get some work done. Yeah, okay. Have you ever seen a team practice or, or experiment with different 
sprint lengths at the start of the project before settling down on a on a chosen yes. sprint length? Yes, I have. Even though we advise pick one and stick with it, a lot of projects I've seen have started with one or two week sprint lengths. And after maybe two sprints, they've gone uh, gotten frustrated, especially the bigger teams. We're not getting or getting any work done. Can we have a bigger sprint length? And with Dynamics 365 projects, I found three weeks to be a really good sweet spot. Yeah, I I, uh, I prefer two weeks, to be honest. Most of my teams, um, if the project's shorter than 12 months, two weeks, I think, gives you more opportunities for feedback. And if if you really think about it, take your estimated project length, split it up by the number of sprints you're going to have, and that, that's the maximum number of opportunities you're going to have for, for user feedback in your sprint review. So the more opportunities you have for feedback, the chances are that you'll stick to what the users want in terms of the working software. The fewer opportunities you have to a three or four week sprint over the course of a year would give you just maybe 20 or or 12 uh, opportunities for that sprint review and getting that user feedback. So, you know, I think if you keep it to two weeks, then you're looking at, you know, 20 or more opportunities for the sprint review and a better chance of delivering what the users want. And you also get more opportunities to do retrospectives as well, to inspect and adapt. Yeah, that's right. And keep your process improving. Mm. Uh, but, but I have found with, with some of the bigger teams, they find it frustrating that we've just started and now we have to stop. And that's why they settled on three weeks. So it's really yep. up to the team and what you feel that, that with the personnel involved, what their cadence is going to be suited to. You, do you think the experience of the Scrum team has got a big part to play in choosing the right sprint length? Yes, it would, because having been there and done that, a lot of team members would come in with with a preference already, and they know what they personally would be able to work to. And if if it's a team that has worked together, then they know what their good cadence would be. Uh, yeah. With new teams, it's more of a feeling out exercise. And I've found it, so as well as the Scrum team's experience, the other thing that plays a big part is their ability to automate a lot of the processes, you know, a lot of the technical processes around testing and release management. Mm-hmm. If those are still manual, that takes up a significant amount of time. So if you're going to do a release every sprint, that might take a day or two. If, you know, the, the testing itself might take three or four days if you're doing manual regression testing, for example. Mm. So if your team is mature enough to have automated a lot of those technical processes, then I think you can go a lot faster and shorten your sprint length. Absolutely. Because um, like you said, that there's a lot of overhead involved with testing and release management. Have your, have your teams used any automated testing tools? Not in Dynamics 365, but we have, when I was at KPMG, we did build a compiler that would collect all the solution files and gather them up into one big solution file that we could then use to deploy between environments. So that was an in-house built compiler, which is really, really useful. But you shouldn't confuse that with automated testing, where as soon as the story is finished, we press a button and it goes through all the, the stages and environments and gets deployed to production, which is a lot more mature. I've seen some great tools coming out now and frameworks for helping automate unit testing and regression testing. So things like Easy Repro and Selenium and the um, XRM, fake XRM mocks and things. So there's some great tooling coming out for the Dynamics 365 community to help us automate all of that. I'm looking forward to my teams exploring some of those tools to help us speed up our processes. I'd love to hear how that goes, Neil. Keep me in the loop. Yeah, will do. Let's, Let's pick maybe that up on a future episode. Have, have you ever seen a one-week sprint used successfully? Not successfully. And to be honest, I haven't used one-week sprints. It's always been with two weeks or three weeks. Okay. Once I've used a four-week sprint and the team didn't like it and we felt it was too long, we brought it back to three weeks. But yeah. I've never actually used a one-week sprint. What about yourself? Have you used one week? I've used it on 
on proof of concept projects. So two or three months, maybe, um, where we're going to try and demonstrate Dynamics 365 capabilities, where we really need that rapid feedback from the users. We may or may not go into production at the end of that. Depends what kind of, you know, whether it is just a prototyping exercise or, or whether it's, you know, the first release. That works pretty well. I think you do get a lot of feedback. You can go at a breakneck pace. I think the, the team is under a certain amount of stress. Probably, you know, there, there's a couple of reasons for that. One, they're often very new. It's a pre-sale situation. So the client may or may not have committed to us and committed to the Dynamics C65 software. So, you know, we're always trying to impress them and do our best. And the one week sprint means we have to achieve quite a lot of work in a very short space of time because as you said the sprint scrum events just take up a certain amount of time at the beginning and end of every of every sprint so you're under an increased amount of pressure i think we can sustain that for maybe 8 10 12 weeks um, if we're careful but after that the team tends to revert then to yeah like you said a two or three week sprint mm. they feel like there's a lot of pressure on them in in one week to deliver a done increment uh, yeah so then they might choose to have a bigger sprint a lot of teams get a lot of satisfaction out of rising to that challenge, but it, the adrenaline wears off after a while, and yeah, yeah you need to uh, manage yourself. And we must remember that Scrum is about uh, consistent uh, momentum, consistent delivery at the same pace. If the team are constantly under pressure, then they're not going to be able to consistently deliver at that pace going forward. That's right. We want something that's sustainable, where people don't feel the need to work overtime or weekends on a regular basis that we can sustain for very long periods of time. Exactly. So you mentioned some of your teams have switched from maybe a two-week to three-week sprint. One of the downsides I've found is it throws out any historical kind of reporting that you want to do. Like if you want to track the team's velocity over time, which is pretty important for understanding capacity. Have you found any good ways of dealing with that? Well, when they, that switch happened, that was very, very early in the project. And it's not something I'd recommend doing once you've, once you've settled on what your sprint length is. I recommend you stay with that throughout the rest of the project. Um, this is really when teams were forming and learning Scrum uh, is when they decided, oh, we started on two, we prefer to do three or vice versa. Once you've settled on what that sprint length, uh, you should keep that cadence throughout the length of the project. That way your metrics looking back will, will be consistent. Okay. What if um, what if you're left with a, quite a few items that are unfinished at the towards the end of a sprint? Can you extend it by a couple of days just to get those pieces done? No, absolutely not. Whatever is done... Absolutely is, not. Absolutely not. Whatever is done okay. can get expected by the product owner. We have a definition of what done is. And when a story meets done, it's potentially releasable to production. It does not have to be released to production. It's up to the product owner to accept that. And then the product owner can decide if and when it gets released. Anything that isn't done goes back on the product backlog uh, to be re-estimated and considered for a future sprint. The reason you re-estimate is that work may degenerate over time. It may not be relevant anymore, what the work that has already been done. So the outstanding work, it may not even be needed. So it needs to be reassessed by the product owner, reprioritized, and if necessary, re-estimated. So those almost done stories, which I think is what you're alluding to, they go back on the product backlog, and it's up to the product owner to decide if they come into the new sprint. If you're using a tool like Jira to track all your user stories, what happens is when you close the current sprint, any undone stories automatically move into the next sprint. So that's something you need to be aware of, that they just automatically roll over. Uh, that's how Jira works. But the product owner, the Scrum Master and team need to be aware that that is not, may not be what you want. You may want to pull those stories from the sprint. Yeah, I, I agree with you on 
certainly not changing the length of the sprint to accommodate a couple of undone stories. I, I'm not a big fan of re-estimating, though. I prefer just to leave the original estimate because the complexity of the story probably hasn't changed. It may do if it's a very long time later before we're reconsidering bringing it back into the sprint backlog. But uh, I, I certainly I don't like to see a team go, oh, well, you know, we, we've done half of the work, so let's take half of the credit and re-estimate the story as something smaller now mm-hmm. because we've done half of it. I don't think you get any velocity credit for half done work it's either done or it's not well if this story rolls over to the absolutely next sprint because the the team ran out of time to finish that story then yes i'd recommend leave the original estimate because in the next sprint if it gets completed you can capture all the points for your metrics however if the story just goes back in the product backlog and it may not be looked at for two three maybe four more sprints then i would recommend re-estimating it because the context of that story might have completely changed its dependencies might have changed and the tasks might have changed the value of that story would depreciate quite quickly over time so if it's going to be quite a while before we get back around to looking at that story i'd recommend re-estimating but if it's going to be finished in the next sprint then yes you could keep the original estimate yeah, okay. Well, I agree with you there. It, it, I wouldn't re-estimate if it's just going straight into the next sprint. But if it's being addressed sometime later, then it would. Good. Okay. Anything else do you think uh, about sprints and sprint length that's important to bear in mind? I guess it's important to think of the sprint as a mini project. So whether you choose one, two, three, or four weeks, that length of time is like a mini project. So each sprint has a goal of what needs to be built, a design and a flexible plan to achieve that goal. And we call that the sprint backlog. And the work and the resultant product increment needs to be produced at the end of the sprint. So think of each sprint as a mini project, no matter what length you choose. Okay, i got a couple of questions that spring to mind when you say that. Sprint goal, I've seen teams struggle to have one overarching goal for the sprint because the items that are in this sprint are, you know, touch all sorts of parts of Dynamics C65 or, or maybe parts of the business, different departments are getting stories in there. And it's very hard to have one overarching sprint goal um, is that a challenge? Can you have multiple sprint goals for multiple stakeholders or should we just have one? What do you think about that? Yep. I've seen a lot of teams challenged, challenged by this as well, Neil. In reality, what I've seen is that teams may have three or four goals because they're touching so many different parts of CRM that one goal would not encapsulate everything that they want to achieve within this sprint. Also, when the product owner is ordering the work on the product backlog. They tend, generally speaking, to order it by epic and by feature. So they may have three features that they want to achieve in this sprint uh, that may not be related to each other. Hence, you may have three separate goals. So yes, in in practice, I find it easier to have more than one goal, but I'd highly recommend not having like up to 10 goals, keep it as small and as few as possible. Yeah. Would be my recommendation. So if you were giving advice to a product owner, would you advise them just to focus on, let's say, one epic or one feature in a given sprint? And let's say it was, I don't know, producing a better forecasting tool or forecasting feature within Dynamics. Would you have them focus on product backlog items to just advance that one feature? Or would you encourage them to address a couple of different features in, in a given sprint? At the end of the day, it's what we're trying to produce at the sprint and working toward the sprint goal is what delivers the most business value to the customer. And that's the product owner's call. So if the product owner feels that this feature in its entirety is more valuable than all the other features, then we would do that. But if the product owner feels, well, two topics in this feature and three topics on this other feature 
delivers the best business value in the next sprint cycle, then we would look at that. So really it's about delivering business value as opposed to going, I want to finish this feature because I just want to finish it. What delivers best value to the customer is how you should order the product backlog. Yeah, good, good focus. Do you think the maturity of the customer organization, the product owner and the stakeholders, their maturity with Scrum or their maturity with Dynamics 365, does that play a part in determining the sprint length? I think it does. I think you know, if the customer's organization is new to Scrum, they're going to, well, there's conflicting thoughts in my head. A shorter sprint length gets them used to more sprints. They get used to the rhythm of, you know, sprint planning, sprint review, sprint retro, and releases every sprint. So if you have a one-week sprint over the course of a couple of months, they they have a lot of sprint experience. Mm-hmm. If you use a four-week a sprint for a customer organization that's new to Scrum, then over the course of you know one or two months, they only have experience of one or two sprints. Uh, however, I think the, the breakneck pace of those shorter sprints can be quite a toll on a mm. new organization. A lot of customers are used to giving requirements up front at the start of a project, not seeing any working software for six, nine, 12 months, and then being asked to conduct some kind of UAT exercise at the very end of a project. And if that's what they're used to, then changing those expectations and that way of working can be quite a big barrier to adoption of Scrum. So it's a it's a fine line. I think you've got to really work with mm. the customer and assess that maturity and also their desire and ability to, to change to a much more rapid cadence in, in a shorter sprint. I've also seen teams, though, that because they're new to Scrum, when you're doing the shorter, say, one to two week sprints, they're struggling with, but we're not producing anything. We don't have enough time. And sometimes they would prefer the three-week length because, yes, we're learning the ceremonies, but we also want to produce something valuable at the end of the sprint. They get very frustrated with the shorter length of turnaround time. But as you said, they can learn the ceremonies a lot quicker if if it happens more often. Especially with hardcore dev teams, they find when they've chunkier pieces of work that they're not achieving uh, with the shorter sprints, they would like a little bit more time to achieve some valuable work. What about um, special sprints? I've seen... Particularly Sprint Zero is quite a famous one. There's a lot of people <laughs> at the start of a project, they create something called Sprint Zero because they don't have a backlog at that stage. So they use Sprint Zero as a way of you know, forming the team, doing some initiation work, having some kickoff meetings, some workshops to produce that initial product backlog. And they tie all that up, the end of Sprint Zero, and then they start Sprint One where they you know start implementing the, those items. Or I've seen hardening sprints, testing sprints. I've seen release sprints integration sprints what do you think of those ideas Dermot does Um, that help balance out scrum for for new teams to me every one of them is a bad idea Neil (laughs) there there is one sprint that you keep that cadence on throughout the project these hardening sprints and test sprints I've heard them floated a lot of times in on projects I've worked on oh if we only had one week extra so we could produce more stories for the product backlog or one week's extra to catch up on our technical debt or catch up on our testing those type of tasks should be created as stories and built into the upcoming sprint and ordered by the product owner based on the value. So if you have a whole bunch of technical debt you want to catch up on, the product owner in conjunction with the dev team can order that for you on your product backlog or give you a buffer sometimes uh, for technical debt especially because the, the customer value may not be very visible. You can give the team a buffer within the sprint to actually look at some technical debt stories. But to create a whole separate sprint of a different duration to look at those stories, I no, that's a, an absolute no. Also with the sprint zero, uh, there is no sprint zero in Scrum. 
if you need to do that discovery work, you can do that within the sprint structure as well. Um, you can create stories, you can create spikes, you can do your investigation, you can investigate what infrastructure you need. You can do all that work within the structure of a sprint. You, do, you don't need a sprint zero at the start to, to investigate that. I sometimes have a, a discovery, a few discovery workshops before sprint one. I don't call it sprint zero because we're not producing <laughs> any working software, but we might have some pre-project work before we kick off to get that initial, you know, the, I want the list of user roles or personas. I want that initial product backlog, uh, maybe some scrum training, setting up the environments, that kind of stuff. That's pre-project work for me. I don't call it sprint zero. We kick off sprint one once that initial product backlog has been ordered by the product owner, and now we're off to the races. Correct. I think you hit the nail on the head there in that that the sprint is to deliver value to the customer via a done increment of product. So yes, once the sprint starts and you're building and you're working toward the product, that's sprint number one. Dermot, you mentioned technical debt a few times there. Uh, for, For people in Dynamics 365 projects, do you want to help us understand what technical debt is? Because it's not really covered in the Scrum Guide. What kind of technical debt... Well, first of all, what is it and what examples have you seen in a Dynamics project? So one example I've seen in a Dynamics project is where we start building a workflow in a a sprint. And then over the course of this project was a really big project that ran for over a year. And over the course of the year, that workflow just became absolutely massive and unwieldy. It was slow. There was lots of branches in the workflow. And the team realized this is too big. We need to break it up into multiple smaller workflows that would be a lot more efficient and easier to maintain. So that would be an example of technical debt. But if you're the customer, this workflow is doing what you want it to do. So why are we going to change it? So you have to explain to the customer and the product owner, it'll make it more efficient, easier to maintain. On the technical side of things, it'll really help us to work uh, faster and better. So that's an example of technical debt. Product owner may choose to, to say, yes, let's order that. Let's get it done. It's something we need to action. And that can be done via, I've seen some scrum teams give themselves a buffer of say five to ten percent of capacity each sprint to do to work on technical debt so that over time they're consistently fixing that and i've seen other scrum teams create stories and say we need to use the story to for this example clean up this workflow that's going to take x amount of points and then that gets ordered by business value in the product backlog which the product owner is fully across so i've seen that work both ways Technical debt then is, is all that complexity and, and horrible mess you get into over time that you just want to simplify to make your system more maintainable, supportable, extensible in the future. Exactly. Yeah, good. Okay. Great. So Dermot, we, we've covered lots of stuff about sprints. We've discussed sprint length. We've discussed the maturity of, of scrum teams to handle different lengths. Um, the idea of using special sprints, I think we're both um, big fans of avoiding that. Anything else about sprints you want to cover? Well, we never called out what happens within the sprint. We said that the team create a done increment of work, but we should really call out that all the events and ceremonies that are in, inherent in Scrum, they happen within the sprint. So your sprint planning, your daily stand-up, the sprint review, the sprint retro, the dev work, uh, the constant inspection and adaption, and also product backlog refinement. That all happens within the confines of that time box, whether it's a one-week sprint or a four-week sprint. So just to keep that in mind, it's not something separate to the planning session or the retro session. Those sessions are within the time frame of the sprint. Yeah, so I quite often get asked, you know, what's the gap between sprints? <laughs> and in my mind, there isn't one. They're just contiguous. The moment you, you stop one, the other one is, next one has started, right? Yes, absolutely. 
I recommend that the last on the last day of sprint, your last two ceremonies should be the, the sprint review followed by the sprint retrospective. Then everybody goes home, comes back the next day to work, and the next sprint has started immediately. Yeah, good. There's no okay. gap between it. Before we move on from, from sprints, Neil, I think we should mention cancelling a sprint. I don't even touch on that topic. Yeah, yeah that, that's usually Never hot. happens, right? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I've seen it happen. <laughs> it's, it's a hot topic. Some teams just go, oh, this sprint isn't going how we wanted it. Can we just start over? And this could, if you're in a two-week sprint, this could be after one week. The answer is it should be avoided at all costs. The scrum team, uh, the dev team, does not have the power to cancel a sprint, even though it's the dev team who's doing the work of producing the done increment. The The power to cancel a sprint rests with the product owner. And yep. the reason they may choose to cancel a sprint is if the sprint goal becomes obsolete. So an example of that would be if the company decided, decided to change direction, if market conditions changed or technical conditions changed, then the product owner with customer value at forefront in their mind might go, by finishing the sprint, we're not going to achieve anything for the customer. We're just wasting money. That is when you may choose to cancel a sprint. I've only ever seen it happen once for the reasons I just outlined. Um, it's very, very rare, and I'd recommend not canceling a sprint. Uh, it's better just to finish out the sprint you're in and then reassess which you're in your retrospective. What were we doing wrong? How can we inspect? How can we adapt? Yeah, I've canceled a sprint once. It was on an American Homes for Rent project. We were, I think we were using a three-week sprint at that time and it was just after a few days after we'd started the sprint the property management division realized that about 6,000 tenant leases were about to expire in in a few weeks time all quite close together and they reckoned they'd need 150 people temporary staff in order to renew all those leases and and get uh, all the tenants extended in the properties they just weren't going to have time to recruit that many people so they wanted us Mm -hmm. to build a leasing automation solution in dynamics we couldn't wait another you know, two and a half weeks for that sprint to finish before starting the lease automation sprint. So we cancelled the sprint that we were in. We filled the product backlog with lease automation stories and we started a new sprint within a couple of days and, and focused on that. Yeah, that worked really well for us. We managed to hit the, the deadline and get all those leases renewed. It was a pretty intense period, but mm-hmm. pretty proud of the work that we did there. Fortunately... I think one of the complications we have, if you do have to cancel a sprint and you're working in a large scale team where there's other scrum teams who rely on your cadence, let's say you've got three teams all operating on a two-week sprint. If one team has to cancel for some reason, how do they then get back into the cadence and synchronize with the other two teams who were all marching you know, to the same cadence? Yes. So you, I think you either have to have a very short sprint or an exceptionally long sprint in order to catch up the cadence again, but that's just something to watch out for on, on larger scale projects where somebody has to cancel a sprint. Mm. So so between the two of us, Neil, with our years of experience with Scrum, we've only ever, ever seen one cancellation each, which, which tells yep. how rare these events are. And the example you gave was quite an extreme event with the change in market conditions. Yeah, it's uh, probably the only reason I would encourage you doing it, where there's you know just some massive value to be derived if you do cancel the sprint. Okay, how about um, moving on to discuss the Daily Scrum? Let's try and keep it to 15 minutes, shall we? Yes, just like the Daily Scrum, a.k.a. also known as the stand-up. And as you've alluded to there, Neil, the the stand-up or Daily Scrum is a time-boxed event of no more than 15 minutes. So what is the stand-up? It's an event that's held every day. It's held by the dev team and for the dev team. 
And it's where the dev team plans the work that they're going to do over the next 24 hours toward achieving the sprint goal. Generally, the teams tend to have it in the morning, not bright and early at 8 a.m. because people are drib coming in in dribs and drabs, but generally once at an agreed time when everyone thinks they can make it to work. So usually at about 9.30 a.m. is when I see stand-ups happening uh, for 15 minutes. Wow, you must have a, people, a lot of people sleeping in in Sydney, either that or the traffic's really bad, <laughs> takes a the, long time to get there. We have some people on our team, Neil, that take two hours to get to work <laughs> each oh, way. Wow. Okay. So big, big commutes. So we need to, with the work-life balance, we need to accommodate some people to come in a little bit later and grab a cup of tea and get settled at their desk. <laughs> then we can have the stand-up. So yes, it, early morning is usually when they have it or early in the in the working day for that scrum team. And it's 15 minutes. Have you minutes. ever seen it done in the afternoon? I actually haven't. I've seen it done in the afternoon. Have you ever seen it, Neil? Yeah, I, neither have I. No, no, I just there's nothing there's nothing in the scrum guide or any best practices. You have to have it in the morning. I think you're you're right. It's about planning the next twenty four hours, but there's nothing to say you couldn't have it at four o'clock and plan you know tomorrow's mm. work. But I've never seen that done. I imagine if you had it later in the day, the team would spend more time looking back on what they did as opposed yep. to looking forward. That's just my, my gut feel on it. And I find that teams, uh, once they start their day by creating this plan, they can then go on and get really stuck into their day. So it's held every day by the dev team for the dev team. This, the, the purpose of it, it optimizes team collaboration and performance because they also inspect the work that was done since the last stand-up. The structure of the stand-up uh, is up to the dev team, but generally, the, what I see happen is the team asks three questions. Uh, what did we achieve yesterday? What are we going to do today that will help us move, move toward the sprint goal? And what are the impediments and blockers that are holding us up? And the Scrum Master will take those impediments and blockers and work to clear them so that the dev team can progress with their work. Usually, or not usually, but sometimes I see the dev team after they have the 15-minute stand-up that some of them may linger around for more in-depth conversations about the topics that were raised earlier on. So it's an opportunity for real good opportunity for inspection and adaption and team collaboration. Yeah, you, you asked the you asked the question in a really good way there, Dermot. You know, what did we achieve or what did I achieve yesterday or what am I trying to achieve today? That's a much better way. I've seen a lot of teams, particularly encouraged by Scrum Masters, to say, what did I do yesterday? People make stuff up to make themselves mm. sound busy. Yeah. I've heard, oh, I was in meetings. I was, you know, in this workshop. That's not really driving forward the sprint goal. I think focusing what you achieve, what stories you manage to work on and take forward is a much better focus than just sounding busy. Yeah, I've learned that when you ask, like you said, what did you do? It becomes a status report to a line manager or a project manager, which isn't what mm. Scrum is about. And when we say, what did we achieve? We're keeping the sprint goal in mind. So what did you achieve to help us move toward the sprint goal? You know, it might, might be something very, very small because you were busy with something else yesterday. But what did we achieve toward the sprint goal is paramount. And for the next 24 hours, what are we going to do to move toward the sprint goal? So the sprint goal is what we should be thinking about always when we're in the, the daily stand-up. Yep. And another pattern I've seen in the Daily Scrum is rather than go developer by developer, what did you achieve? We go story by story. So mm -hmm. we look at the stories that are in the back sprint backlog and we ask who worked on this yesterday? What moved forward? What are the impediments? 
And that gives us a real good focus as well on progress. So that's another pattern that teams might want to try out if they are, you know, stuck on the what did you do and people sound busy in meetings, then try focusing on the stories instead. Especially if you have a, a visual management board, which is basically just a big board with post-it notes on it. If you have one of those, I highly recommend getting the team to stand around the board and we speak to the board, to the stories, as opposed to speaking to individuals. What did you do? As a collective, we should, should be saying which stories have moved along toward the sprint goal. So what happens if you get towards the end of the time box? You're coming up in 14 and a half minutes, and there's a couple of people who haven't made their contribution yet. We haven't heard from them in terms of the progress that they made yesterday. Can we keep going for a few minutes? Preferably not. And that's where experience comes in and where the team getting to know each other uh, will improve that. It, when it's a new team, you tend to see that happening. It's all last minute rush. Uh, more mature teams, they, they know each other, they have experience of each other, and they know that they need to keep their updates to the team and their progress uh, that they're telling the team on, that they have to keep it limited. So we've only 15 minutes, If you even if you've seven, eight, nine people, we've 15 minutes to get through this meeting. So let's keep it brief, people. Uh, the scrum master can, I was going to say referee is probably the wrong word, but if somebody <laughs> is hogging the limelight too much, the scrum master can suggest, let's take this offline and let's move on to the, to the next story that we want to look at. Yeah. Keeping it to 15 minutes, the team gets into a cadence. A more mature team knows how to do that. Starter teams tend to struggle with it. I remember Dan Brown, who's a scrum master on one of my projects in, in uh, Los Angeles, and it was my turn to make my contribution, and he just cut me off and said, "Neil, you can you can go first tomorrow." And that was it. It was a really harsh lesson. Um, it was yeah, I, I I took the brunt of it, but the team realised that they hadn't factored in that everybody needs to make a contribution. So they all realised they'd all gone over by a couple of minutes. So the next day I went first. I kept mine nice and short, and everybody learned very quickly that it's it's a real quick update for everybody, and we need to have everybody's contribution there. Which leads me to another question, Dermot. It's for the dev team. Quite often the dev team needs to ask a question of the product owner or the product owner's proxies, and they get involved in the daily scrum as well. Now that it's not just the you know, seven, eight, nine devs who are in the daily scrum, but you might have three or four other stakeholders participating as well, and that's quite big. How do you handle that when it gets to a really big meeting? I've seen you know, 20 people in a, in a daily scrum, and it becomes a bit unwieldy. How do you mm. keep it focused in those scenarios? So, like we said, it's for the dev team. If the dev team would like a product owner to attend, they can invite the product owner. Uh, sometimes the product owner wants to attend. They can attend, but they can't be disruptive. If you have a product owner or a BA or someone external to the core dev team who keeps interrupting and keeps wanting to have their say, the Scrum Master needs to run interference there and, and make sure that they don't. This is the devs team's meeting. Uh, I worked on one project where there was a lot of product owners, um, some external stakeholders used to come along. And what happened was they ended up taking over the meeting. And when the stand-up finished, the dev team would have another stand-up just for themselves, which is not the way to do it. <laughs> yeah. So really the Scrum Master needs to run interference there and make sure that anybody who's invited or anybody who wants to be an observer, that yes, they do observe and that they don't disrupt the meeting. If they have something th to contribute, they may put up their hand and request to speak, but they, they should keep it brief. Um, it's really the dev team who, who own that meeting and it's for the dev team. Yeah, I, I love it when they product owner attends, I think it's a good chance for them to find out what the blockers are. And like you said, hang back after the daily scrum. A developer's got an issue with not, not understanding what views, sorry, what columns need to be displayed in a view they're creating. 
don't uh, have acceptance criteria for the layout of a form or something. And the product owner can answer those little challenges pretty quickly after the daily scrum. So mm-hmm. it's, it's great that they're there and they, they spend a few minutes afterwards. So I would encourage product owners to maybe schedule 30 minutes of their time in the morning, 15 minutes to listen in on the daily scrum, answer a quick question, but be available you know, for the developers to swarm around for that, you know, an extra 15 minutes afterwards. Absolutely. Anything else about the daily scrum you wanted to add in, Dermot? Um, so I think we've covered the time box. We've covered the attendees, which is the dev team and any other invited stakeholders or product owners if they wish to be there. How they should not be uh, disruptive, those extra people. The advantages of the stand-up is that stand-ups improve communications. It eliminates the need for meetings. Uh, so outside the core events, this is really the only daily meeting that the team have. They have a 15-minute catch-up. Yeah. It identifies impediments. Uh, so any items that may be slowing down the progress of the dev team in achieving the sprint goal can be called out. And the Scrum Master can take that upon him or herself to action those impediments and get them removed. And it also highlights and improves quick decision-making because everybody's together at the same time every day. We can get a decision there and then. So it's a really good key inspect and adapt meeting for the dev team. Yeah, a couple of other benefits I've seen is, you know, I, I remember to update my stories at least once a day, right? For a few minutes before the daily scrum. Oh, yeah, I haven't updated it. You know, if I'm using Visual Studio Team Services, oh, yeah, I haven't updated a couple of items I worked on yesterday, or if I'm using a physical scrum board, I can go and move the post-it notes across the board. So it's a constant reminder to keep mm-hmm. the team up to date on on where the items are at. Mm-hmm. And the, the only downside I've seen is, let's say an hour or two after the daily scrum, I, I hit an impediment, some kind of blocker. I've seen some people tempted to wait until tomorrow's daily scrum to raise that <laughs> issue uh, instead of just tackling it there and then either going to the scrum master or the product owner or whoever help they need to unblock that issue. Um, so don't be tempted to do that. I know it's only you know less than 24 hours until the next daily scrum, but it's not the only place that you can raise impediments. And quite correct. Um, it's not the stand-up is also not the only place where the team can collaborate. Uh, throughout the day, if you wish to speak to a team member or the product owner, do so. You don't have to wait till the next morning to do that. Uh, one final question, Dermot, on the daily scrum. What if you're not co-located together? Um, either the devs are in different places, or the customer is in a different place from the Microsoft Partners development team. Working remotely, any particular challenges there, and any particular hints and tips you can give us for resolving those challenges? Yep, I've worked with several teams where we've had people offshore or remote. In this day and age, we have the technology, we have Skype. So we've conducted those stand-ups over Skype. So again, the people who are remote, they need to understand that it's the stand-up starts on time and finishes on time and come prepared to stand-up. That's something I tell my teams, even if they're remote, look, you're still part of their team, you have to come prepared. Don't turn up, one of the words I ban at stand-up is the word stuff. Oh, I worked on stuff. That means nothing. You have to have context. Uh, which user story was worked on and how did that progress toward the sprint goal? Uh, with regard the remote remote resources, it's much better to have people co-located. That's the preference. Um, there's more of a team dynamic. The collaboration is a lot better feel to it. But in this day and age, we have remote resources. That's that's life. So use the technology that we have at hand. Use Skype. But the same rules apply to the offshore people as apply to the, the onshore people in that the stand-up starts at the same time, finishes at the t- same time, and come prepared. Yeah, I think 
for the people who are co-located in the same room and there's a couple of remote people, that that's a harder situation because there's a bit of banter in the room, some small talk, a few jokes. People start laughing. That drowns out the microphone and you can't participate if you're remote. So people in the room need to be respectful that there's people on the phone and operate as if they're all on the phone. That's much easier. And then the Scrum Master has to make sure that they invite a contribution from everybody who's who's on the end of a phone line. Mm-hmm. That the people on the phone line don't get forgotten about, which is sometimes what happens because right. they're not visible to see that we forget about them and we, we move on. Yeah. So yeah, the Scrum Master needs to ensure that they get addressed. Yeah. Use your video cam, you know, wave your hand if you haven't had a contribution and make sure mm-hmm. you get uh, you know, a chance to participate. Great, Dermot. So thanks very much for all your input on the, on the sprint and the daily scrum. Um, any final thoughts? Um, keep scrumming. <laughs> Enjoy. Uh, please send in any questions you have to, to Neil and myself. and We're happy to answer questions. And I think, Neil, our next podcast will be a Q&A session where listeners have sent in their questions and we're going to address those next time. Yeah, I've had uh, three or four really interesting questions that uh, our listeners have sent in. So I'll be posing those to you next time, Dermot, and look forward to that session. Fantastic. Thanks, Neil. See you later, Dermot. Scrum on. Our mission is to have every Microsoft Dynamics 365 project succeed using Scrum. If you'd like to learn more about Scrum and become a certified professional Scrum Master, visit crm.audio slash Scrum Dynamics to get discounted access to the introduction to Scrum from Microsoft Dynamics 365 course. Course features videos, worksheets, quizzes, and a practice assessment for the Professional Scrum Master certification exam. It covers the theory of Scrum, its events, roles, and deliverables, as well as lessons learned through Scrum for Dynamics CRM case study projects. CRM Audio podcast listeners can get discounted access by visiting crm.audio slash Scrum Dynamics.